0: And I'm Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. That's right. And this is our
1: last episode of the year. It is. The year is almost over. I know. Over. Thank God. But that said, uh. it's not that I'm going to make a habit out of this. I didn't plan it, but it is a two-part episode.
0: Ooh, you're so such a first, busy
1: bee. Well, Yeah. If I had known, I would have started it earlier. I thought. I know. That always happens to me. It's the old, oh, this will be a simple, easy one to do. I know. They never are. And I actually had some updates, but none of them are anything that can't wait until next time how about you do you have any updates
0: i don't have any updates i i have a lot of things on my google search that i put in there like robert blake mm-hmm. um there's a lot of people named robert blake because i get <laughs> updates on all of them oh but, so you're very rarely on i just you know i'm on, i'm on the actor
1: so now you're a Robert Blake aficionado of all the Robert no. Blakes in the United and States. so
0: I don't think I really no. have anything else. I don't know. There probably is something that I'm just totally yeah. missing. I yeah. Don't know. Well, we in can always do it day. next
1: time. So I guess I should just get started. Yes.
0: Right? And I have no idea what you're doing, so I'm very excited. Yeah.
1: What inspired me was a recent podcast I listened to that about this. I'm not going to say what podcast it was until next week. Because it would spoil okay. what, what this is, kind of. But I will say, I for this week's information, newspapers.com, as always, came through quite yes. successfully. And I got a lot of my information from the South Bend, Indiana Tribune. Ooh. I also got a lot of information from the Sturgis, Michigan Journal. And I did that by getting a subscription to the Sturgis, Michigan Journal. Wow. I don't know how long I'll keep it for, but You're very I, devoted. Well, I needed to get the information. They have, Ooh. as they should, a paywall, yeah. and I needed to read more than five stories. And it was weird, though, when I went to make an account, it said I already had one that had expired. And yeah. I said, I have never read this newspaper in my life. They must be part of... Uh, I, I didn't go in looking at... They oh, must yeah, maybe part, of a, part chain, of a network
0: or something. Maybe yeah. e-
1: e- Gatehouse or one of those places mm-hmm. that sucks up newspapers and kills them. But anyway, there's also a TV reporter, Ken Colker of WOOD TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, W-O-D, WOOD. WOOD. WOOD TV, yep.
0: Hmm.
1: Yep. And... He's more significant to the story next week, but I did use some of his information this week. Okay. I think one or two other podcasts have done this story. I did not listen to them. I just came across it while I was researching. And I want to say, I know people may not care who we credit and where we get our information. And -hmm. I know some of the biggest true crime podcasts out there don't. Hmm. And everyone seems to be cool with that, apparently. But... I want to tell our listeners we still believe in the basic ethical philosophy of not only giving credit where it's due to the people who did the work and also not stealing other people's work, and also giving our listeners the opportunity to understand where our information comes from so that they can help decide for themselves how they want to consider the information. Yes, exactly. You know, it's it's part of critical thinking, a skill that's Hmm. gone out of fashion, but we know that it's one our listeners still value Yes, they do. They do. They're discerning, and we thank them for that. And another, before I start, too, another little prologue. Often in recent months, I've heard people complain that there are only a few bad cops, and they get all the attention, and that no one's pointing out all the great stuff, the good cops, and most of the cops are good, and everything... And first of all, I want to remind people, you know, the egregious things that some of the many bad cops have done this year and in years past, including killing unarmed black men and women, and then justifying it, is basically supported by people who don't speak out about it. And and I'm sure many of you are familiar with the quote from Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And he was an uh, he was an Irish statesman who said that about 250 years ago, but it's just as true today as it was then. And I've heard a lot of cops defending bad behavior and very few coming out saying that the way they approach crime prevention or law enforcement, and those are two different things, is wrong. And it's not just the big things, but all the little things that go into all the wrongful convictions and other things that we hear about, those things are considered part of the job. And yet they lead to people being treated unfairly. It's part of the systemic racism issue. But it's also part of a bigger issue of poor people and people without means spending time in jail or being convicted when they yeah. shouldn't be. And, the, and a lot of those things that lead to that are supported by cops who people would consider good cops. And so are those things being done by bad cops or good cops? That goes to interrogating people, you know, lying, the fact that we're allowed, or not we, but police are allowed to lie to people Mm. while they're interrogating them, even about things like, your DNA was found at the scene when it wasn't, and how do you think that happened, and getting the person to speculate on it, or, you know, your wife told us that you weren't there that night when the wife said no such thing. Mm -hmm. And those, good cops consider those okay. So I'm just saying, as you listen to this story... Not only tonight's episode, but the episode in two weeks. I want people to kind of think about that and we can decide who the, who's good and who's bad. Woo. So, um, I guess I'm a little worked up because 2020 has been a long time. But
0: now all the, no cops listen to us anymore because they all hate
1: us now. Well, that's their loss. Yeah, that's true. I would say. I always feel that way whenever somebody doesn't get what I'm laying down. It's their loss. That's been my philosophy in life since I was a child, and it (laughs) serves me well. (laughs) Becky, one thing, too. I realized that when I was doing this, there are some similarities to yours, to your last episode, the Paul Dwyer one, and that wasn't on purpose, but I think it's. It's not a lot like it, but there are similarities. It's funny how, maybe we're just drawn
0: to similar, like, it's funny how a lot of our episodes have de- the same themes running through them. Yes, they do. Times. It's because we're of
1: one mind.
0: I think, but I think, I mean, just in general, too, we're drawn
1: yes, to I the think-
0: similar stories. Okay, yes. so,
1: well, I'll be in- I'm interested I Okay, in well, okay. let's not hesitate okay. any longer. We I'll will. dive right in. 11-year-old Jody Perak. And I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it, so I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Left a friend's home on a borrowed bike at about 4.45 p.m. Thursday, November 8, 2007. She lived in Constantine, Michigan, a village of about 2,000 people in the southwestern corner of the state near the Indiana border. The friend lived on East 3rd Street, and Jody's house was only a few blocks away. She was due home at 5.30 for dinner, and according to whichever friend you asked, in the ensuing 45 minutes, she either planned to go straight home, she planned to ride her bike around for a little while, or she planned to go to a store and get a snack. And remember, these are fifth graders, so all of those could be true. Police later said the story of her whereabouts or what she was planning to do was inconsistent. I don't think any of that's inconsistent. I think it could all fit, <laughs> Yeah, but that just kind of sets the tone. When Jody didn't return home when she was expected, her mother, identified in early stories as Valerie Carver, got worried. At 7 p.m., she called the police about her daughter, then started calling her daughter's friends, who hadn't seen her after she left that one friend's house, and rallying her own friends and neighbors to help look for her. The mother is referred to as Valerie Carver in early stories from the newspapers that I could access on newspapers.com. And in later references, it's Joe, J-O, Gilson.
0: Hmm.
1: And I found an obituary from 2008 for a relative that refers to her as Joe Carver. So she likely remarried, and I'm assuming Joe is a nickname or something. And it's weird. It just kind of changes midstream, her name does in the stories. But anyway around eight that night, Joe knocked on the door of neighbor Ray McCann. McCann, 40 at the time, is the father of two boys, one of who is in Jody's class and was a good friend of hers. McCann was a reserve police officer for the town, which means he could do things like give tickets and stuff, but he wasn't a full-time officer and he couldn't make arrests for major crimes and stuff. His dream was to be a Michigan State trooper, but he was starting... This sounds familiar to me, so I think, I, but anyway, you may outside. have heard something yeah. about it. And it's unclear if he had another job at the time. One thing about the articles about this, I found they were not rich in detail about mm. a lot of the people involved. Details I would have wondered about had I been working for one of the newspapers, but that's me. In any case, McCann went out to help her look, as did many other neighbors and town folk. They scoured the town, which is along the Prairie River, and I know people unfamiliar may think of Michigan in terms of big cities like Detroit, but much of it's rural, kind of like Maine, and mm-hmm. Constantine was no exception. The nearest big city is South Bend, Indiana, with a population of about 100,000, which is about 40 miles away. As I said, Constantine's about 2,000 people. Sturgis, which is about 20 miles away, is 10,000, and that seems to be kind of a hub of activity, and that's where the Sturgis Journal is. McCann... Among the other searchers told police later that he looked at the he looked around the ball fields, he looked around various neighborhoods, he even went by his mother and sister's house to tell them what was going on. He went down to the prairie river where there was a some kind of wharf or pier, and looked down there to see if he could find anything. And after a couple hours of searching, he suggested to Jody's mother that they check the cemetery the constantine township cemetery he also suggested it to constantine police officer marcus donker who was (laughs) sorry i know who was who was the officer who had responded and was helping with the search in very early stories about this case it said Jody's mother said this cemetery was a regular shortcut for the kids in their neighborhood and that they would go through it all the time it's kind of this big cemetery that's kind of plopped in the middle so you can see how kids would adults too would go through it instead of go around Mm-hmm. on the street and remember that she said that by the way i will remember it was about half a mile from jody's house and it was uh, kind of the same type of distance from her friend's house it's not really clear but it was nearby they found jody's bike near the entrance to the cemetery and at ten thirty p.m found jody's dead body Aww. under an oak tree it wasn't initially clear how jody was killed Police said there were no outward signs of trauma on her body. Evidence was scant, the newspapers reported, and police were also keeping a lid on information. And it looks like the, they call it the county prosecutor, but it's the same thing as a DA. And it looked like the county prosecutor got involved fairly early in the case. Police, including the FBI, went door to door the next morning asking people if they'd seen anything. No one reported seeing Jody after she left her friend's house. Initial reports in the newspapers said a light-colored van had been seen in the area around the time mm-hmm. Jody left her friend's house in the area of the cemetery and those on those streets. That information only appeared in the very initial early stories and then was never mentioned again. On November 29th, three weeks after her murder, Constantine Police Chief Mike Honeyset said he was confident the murder would be solved. Don't they always say that? And you're going to hear that a lot yeah. in this story. They'd gotten a lot of tips, and he said some of them were pretty intriguing, and they made him feel optimistic. Quote, I think the killing involves someone locally here, he said. So for that reason, I'm confident we'll find out who and maybe why. I don't believe it was just someone passing through who picked her out. On January 8th, three months after the murder, they hadn't, seemingly hadn't gotten much further, And the South Bend Tribune ran a story that said the, quote, much-awaited autopsy in the mysterious death of a Constantine girl has become like everything else in this unsolved case, a secret. By this point, the St. Joseph County Prosecutor's Office had issued a release asking for public help, but they weren't releasing any information about the murder. Not even whether they thought she was killed in the cemetery or killed somewhere and moved there. Constantine Police and the St. Joseph County Major Crimes Task Force said by then that they'd gotten 561 tips. Assistant Prosecutor Holly Curtis said investigators were doing a good job, but in order to arrest someone, they needed probable cause. Hmm. She said while there was no doubt a crime was committed, quote, we cannot establish that a particular individual committed this crime. By the end of March, police said they were up to 618 tips. I really like the precise... (laughs) tip count that we get in these stories they also acknowledge that dna evidence had been found but they hadn't come up with a match st joseph county medical examiner john robertson called the case one of the most troubling of his career the south bend tribune said that the prosecutor's office which had quote controlled the scant information released on the case was again asking for help from the public and media. They wanted to know if anyone knew of anyone who'd suddenly left the area around November eight the year before. Interestingly, as I said earlier, the light-colored van that had been mentioned in the stories in the days after the murder was not mentioned in any yeah. of these, and I've never seen a reference to it again. That's weird. It is weird, and it, it'll get weirder. You'll see. You may not see till next week. but... <laughs> <laughs> After this, a plea for help from the public regularly appeared once or twice a year in the Crime Stoppers feature in the Tribune, which basically, you know, it's one of those things where it gives the info about a case with a photo of Jody and asks if you know anything to call and provides phone numbers, and pleas for help were the constant refrain of any story about this case in which the police were quoted. On May 8, 2008, the Tribune reported that Jody's family had been cleared of any involvement, County Prosecutor Douglas Fisher said forensic evidence or lack of it cleared them, Lou Mumford of the Tribune reported. And I just want to say it was very difficult to find in the newspapers. The Sturgis paper seemed to be the one that covered this the most. Any information at all about her family, apparently her mom was a single mom, a father is never mentioned, Hmm. and she has more than one brother that were mentioned in passing, but there's... You know, just very little information, the kind of information you'd expect. I looked for an obituary and couldn't find one. So, yeah. but Fisher told the media at a news conference that there's a slight chance Jody's death could have been an accident, but they don't mm. believe it was. And my guess is they were trying to give the killer or the person they thought was the killer and now to come in and say, you know, it was an accident. Yeah. Especially given the DNA that... You know, he'd get nervous they would be on to him, so, you know, to cover his ass before he got nailed for it. They again asked residents to let them know if they knew of anyone who'd moved out of the area between November 8th and Christmas the previous year. Fisher also said he wanted to hear about any suspicious conversations people overheard regarding Jody's death. Like, wow, I threw that little girl in the cemetery. The old nail your neighbor. um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We know how how successful that is in finding the right person. On November 8th, 2008, the one-year anniversary, a vigil was held and police were among the organizers of it. Lou Mumford of the South Bend newspaper noted in his story that while the prosecutor, Fisher, had said six months before there was a possibility it was an accident, no one was saying that now. And my take, the ploy hadn't worked. No one came forward and said, you know, I did it. It was an accident. Mumford pointed out that Assistant Prosecutor Holly Curtis referred to it as a crime in her statement and, once again, asked anyone in the public who knew anything to come forward. Quote, "...it's frustrating to have the forensic evidence that will ultimately solve this crime and no suspects," Curtis said. "...we're hoping that this vigil will bring out more tips. Hmm. There is someone out there who knows something. They may not realize it, or they are afraid to come forward." Constantine Police Chief Mark Honeyset said Officer Mike Klein was the lead investigator. That's Constantine Officer Mike Klein. And also, I could find no information about how big their police department was, but Mm. it's a town of 2,000 people. Honeyset said Klein was working about 30 hours a week on the case, and that was reported by the Sturgis Journal. The journal also talked to St. Joseph County Sheriff Department Detective Lonnie Palmer, who'd been assigned to the case for the first six months. While the public may be frustrated that the case has not been solved, police said they are equally frustrated, the article said. It's always foremost on our minds, Palmer said. To say that we talk about this case is an understatement. He said police turn their frustration into motivation. We want that one lead, that one tip that solves this, Palmer said. There is someone out there who knows something. They need to do the right thing. He said he talks with Klein, the investigator, at least once every week or two. We feel the same as the rest of the public, Palmer said. We want to solve this crime. Not much that I could find had been written about who Jody was. My guess is that the reporters covering it, particularly the male ones, didn't see much to say about an 11-year-old girl. Granted, I didn't have access to every newspaper, and the Sturgis Journal, which won a state spot news award for its coverage of the initial story when she was first murdered, only has stories online from about a year after that. Mm. And, uh, and so my stories from the first year were from the um, South Bend, Indiana paper. And so maybe there was something about who she was, but it was hard to find. But the journal on the first anniversary did have a story about how much she's missed at school and about how school counselor Sarah Russell encouraged students to create art or poetry that express how they felt. Jody's friend, Lorana Cook who was a couple of grades ahead of her, told the Tribune that she'd become friends with Jody at a football game a couple of months before the murder in September. We started to talk and found out we had a lot in common, Cook said. Their friendship grew quickly, and after Jody's death, Cook continued to hang out with Jody's mother and brothers. I found out there was a lot more to Jody than I thought, she said. She was their little princess. She wrote a short poem about it, and I'll read it to you because, as I said, it's short. And it's called Who You Took. It's aimed at the perpetrator. Mm. You took a friend, a loving girl. You made my world grow dark. I still remember that painful day when I wanted to just run to the park. To get away from all my fears and never think about her. But she'll be with me always until you're caught. I hope you cry. I hope you rot. Because Mm. you took something more valuable than money. You took my friend. You took her life. It takes all I have to get on with my life, but still I go back to that horrible day when you decided to take my friend away. A hundred people gathered in the rain at the vigil to commemorate the first anniversary. People offered memories of Jody, but Chief Honey also, once again, asked for information saying he was convinced that someone at the event had information that is still missing from their ability to solve the case. The Sturgis Journal reported. Honeyset told the crowd, I'm every bit as confident that this crime will be solved as I was a year ago. Huh. And the Sturgis Journal reported people did go to him after he spoke. Quote, Each gave the one speaking with the chief some distance, the article said. They came with their memories of the night of the murder and something they'd been mulling over for the past year. But as intriguing as that sounds, apparently none of them panned out mm-hmm. because nothing happened after that. The Sturgis Journal in April 2009 reported on a child abuse public meeting at which John Robertson, the St. Joseph County medical examiner, talked about cases of child abuse he had seen in the county. He said Jody's case was very troublesome. Quote, there were dozens and dozens of DNA tests, but nothing matched. The article also reported she was strangled, something that hadn't been reported in the first year after her death, and actually, years later... When the police finally made it public, it was the first time they had publicly said she was strangled. And my belief is that this reporter who wrote the story blithely went to this child abuse. He mentioned some other cases and it was kind of a weird story because there was no background on most of the cases. And he mentioned these names. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Mm -hmm. But my guess is, and I think they have more in the print version. My guess is the reporter had no clue that the fact she was strangled hadn't been made public. My guess is nobody who at the paper or any other papers who knew anything about the case read the article. Yeah. Because when they do finally say she was strangled, it's like big news and that's years later. It's weird. It's weird, but having worked for newspapers. Yeah, not, not surprising to you? Not surprising to me. In June 2009, former Michigan State Police Detective Jim Bedell was lured out of retirement to become the Constantine Police Chief, specifically to head the investigation into the case. Mm. Chief Honeysett, who was also Village Manager, kept the (laughs) manager job, but not his cop job. Apparently, he'd been a cop for like 35 years. He'd been Village Manager for three years, and now he was just Village Manager. The change was initially made in March... With Bedell's takeover, I'm not sure when. I couldn't find an article about it. He did take over in June, and the Sturgis Journal reported it a month later on July 10th. And just an aside here, I don't want to assume things, but I noticed in the coverage of this that, for instance, after 2008, things in the South Bend paper really, really dropped off, and they started using AP stories. Nearby papers, except for the Sturgis Journal, didn't cover it. There's a paper in St. Joseph, another... um, paper in the county that just used very brief ap stories and one thing that happened in these years like especially 2008 to 2010 and then later through the decade was the mass layoffs of newspaper reporters Mm. and newspapers shutting down and closing closing bureaus cutting staff and um, not covering things the way they used to part of it was the recession and the loss of revenue associated with it something that's happening now too as a matter of fact but a big part of it was also that the internet finally caught up with the print product and somehow took newspapers by surprise. They had not been paying enough attention and they suddenly realized that their advertising revenue was going away. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that it's advertising revenue that pays for a newspaper. And one of the biggest money makers was classified ads. Job ads, yes. car ads, and real estate. And a lot of that became moot once the internet got rolling and newspapers didn't have a way to make up for it. And I'm just pointing that out, and it's happening now, like I said, with the current recession, because this lack of reporting that there was this big police chief change, that it's finally reported a month after the police chief was changed, is just missed by people, and it's a significant thing that should have been reported, and particularly smaller governments like town and county ones can do things that no one knows about. And I actually saw a couple studies recently that how much more people pay in taxes when there's not a local newspaper because the government knows no one's going to report. Uh Uh. For instance, how much they paid for the snowplow, or they can skirt rules on bidding and stuff, and no one's watching them, and I just want people to think of that, um, think about that with their local news and local coverage and why it's important. But anyway, granted, at this point, the Sturgis Journal, which seemed to be the area paper that covered Constantine the most, wasn't putting everything online, so a lot of it was still in the print edition, The paper I worked for at the time was doing the same thing at the time. It was putting like 10 stories a day online because they Mm. didn't want people to stop buying the print edition. Um, Mm. But every 2009 article and I think 2010 one in the Sturgis Journal that I read says, for the complete article, see the print edition. And, you know, they were fighting a losing battle. Anyway, the Sturgis Journal reported July 10th that the police chief, chief change had been quietly made a month before. And as I said, the town government had decided to make the change in March. And it happened in June. Hmm. And the new chief who took former Chief Hunnieset's place was Jim Bedell, a former Michigan State trooper who, as I said, had been hired particularly to solve this case. Finding the person who killed Jody was his number one priority, he told the Journal. The other officers could take care of their other stuff, and he would focus on the Jody thing. Hmm. Quote, as long as I'm chief, the Jody Perak case will never go in the cold case file. We'll find who did it. It's only a matter of time. Mm. In August 2009, South Bend caught up with it, with an AP story from the Kalamazoo Gazette. And Bedell told the Gazette in August that he worked on the case every chance he had. He repeated that it would never become a cold case. And by now, there were 766 tips... Mm. 40 of which needed follow-up, the story said. Well, what's
0: Jim Bedell doing with his time? I thought he was going to be working he's on it. Wor- he's time. following
1: up on those tips. Okay. It takes a while to follow up on tips. Okay. Still, the second anniversary came in November 2009 with no arrest and no new information. Craig Badman, who was principal at Riverside what? Elementary... Is, is yeah. Who was... Bagman? Bad man (laughs) How bad Bad man man. who was principal bad man who was principal at riverside elementary school when the murder happened and who i just wanted to quote mostly because of his name and i assume he was the principal Pronounce
0: badman but i'm just
1: whatever and i assume he was principal (laughs) when the story appeared although this article doesn't say he was still principal said that the students feel safe but the adults are much more vigilant. And by the way, just a tangent, that reminds me of Grossman's Lumber. Remember their ad? There's a little, little Grossman gross in everyone. everyone. And we used yeah. to say, yeah, there's a little yeah. gross man in everyone. But anyway, he said the students feel safe, but the adults are much more vigilant. They pick up students from school and they don't let them walk home. And if school personnel see anything abnormal, they are proactive. And the Constantine Police Department is very responsive to any need or concern coming from the schools, bad man, said. And Constantine Village Manager, ouch, Mark Hunnysett, agreed with that. Quote, apart from being frustrated and impatient to have it solved, the community is returning to normal, he said. Panic of a stranger in our midst has passed. Hmm. The online visual story that year was very similar to the one the year before. About 100 people her friends and relatives offering tearful comments, and the police chief, now Bedell, asking the public to come forward if they knew anything. As the third anniversary approached, the news was that the Michigan State Police were joining the effort. By now, they were up to 900 tips ah, and had taken more than 100 DNA samples from people, Corky Emrich of the Sturgis Journal reported. Police Chief Bedell told Corky he'd asked the state police for help in October. The problem is, I'm working on one tip, and that will lead to something else, which needs to be followed up on. It just sort of branches out and gets too big for one person to handle, he said. And just a quick thought here. In Maine, except for the two biggest cities, Portland and Bangor, the state police automatically investigate major crimes, including murder, though sometimes with the help of the sheriff's department in whatever county it took place. And part of it is because a lot of towns like mine, which is just about the same size as Constantine, don't have police departments. Mm. But even the ones that do are just not equipped to handle a murder. Yeah, I mean, I lived in a town of about twenty-five hundred, a city in How Maine. How well, Maine's smallest city.
0: And they had, I think, they maybe had two or three full-time cops. I don't, yeah. I can't imagine they would be able to investigate. Right, a murder. like
1: I was gonna say, the last murder in my town, for instance, that anyone knows about at least yeah the one you committed no one knows yet right well you gotta find a body and somebody's gotta complain but anyway the last one anyone knows about happened in the 90s because i looked up once i just wanted to see what the last murder was and it was actually some poor woman from massachusetts who came up to get away from her abusive husband so she came up to their summer house and he followed her up here and killed her so it wasn't even like people who live here all the time but anyway If we had a police department and one happened now, how would they even know where to begin? Nobody on there would have ever investigated a murder. So anyway, Chief Bedell said about the state police, I told them I had a mountain of work to do, and I don't want this to end up a cold case. I talk to mom all the time, and he doesn't mean his own mother. (laughs) He means the mother of Jody. I talk to grandma all the time. It's disappointing to them and disappointing to have to tell them that I'm working on it, but don't have any good leads. Pet peeve of mine, referring to women who have names as mom and grandma. I even find him saying the mother more acceptable than just saying mom. Mm -hmm. And I could go on and on about why that bothers me. But anyway, quote, it's great because they will be spending all of their time on this, he said. I think this is a solvable case. We have DNA. We just have to match it up. So if you're getting the idea, the whole focus is the DNA, which it should be. If you find DNA, and they never really say it, but it's sperm on a little girl who's been killed, it's, you know, probably from the guy who did it. And I, there's a reason I'm saying that, which will become clear later. Detective Chuck Christensen of the Michigan State Police 5th District in paw paw, and Papa, and I just wanted to say Papa. What? Detective Chuck Christensen... I know. What's Paw Paw? It's a town, I guess. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I know. I like that right. Name. I know. Okay. Me too. That's why I wanted to say it. Okay. But he said two detectives will be assigned to, the, to Constantine to help organize the case, and then trooper investigators will take over. We have an organizational process we use. Christensen said, we've used this since 2000. It indexes every report, so if we want a piece of information, we have it in a matter of seconds. That well, sounds like a computer <laughs> da- database or something. <laughs> oh, well, that's pretty pretty forward for um, 2009. <laughs> he said they didn't have a timeline to solve the case and would stick with it as long as it took. We will work until no stone is unturned. We will keep working this case. Yeah, okay, you do that. Bedell... As always, as optimistic, the case will be solved, and he said it will be solved out of pure determination, the journal wrote. I feel confident that we are going to solve this case, Bedell said. In January 2011, Christensen, from, as I said, the 5th District in Pawpaw, Pawpaw. said a detective sergeant will oversee four trooper investigators working in the village, in a village-owned building, and they'll be there by early March. The team delegated to the review is specially trained in cold case investigations, Christensen said. Bedell would still help out, but has turned the case files and stuff that goes with them over to the state police team. Bedell said that no matter how far-fetched the tips they get may seem, he's investigated every single one brought to his intention, and he told that to Jeff Rietzma of the Stur- Sturgis Journal. In fact, a very credible tip was just passed along that week. Mm. He said he's glad to still be involved in the investigation, but not for the glory that he would get once the case is solved. Quote, It's not about who gets the credit for solving the case. We just want it solved and someone to be held accountable for what happened. In March 2011, Rietzman did a feature story about the detective team. His story not only ran in the Sturgis Journal, but was picked up by AP and ran, among other places, in the South Bend paper, which was no longer really covering the case the way it had a few years before. By now, there were five crates of what the Sturgis Journal called evidence, but I'll call case information a case Mm -hmm. file. I don't think they have five crates of evidence, or they would probably have arrested someone. Quote, these are top-shelf investigators for the entire district. They've gotten more extensive training than what a normal road trooper would get, said Christensen. From Papa. (laughs) They've literally started from scratch. That week, they held a news conference to announce the team... Ritzma, the reporter, had already reported back in January, two months before that it was going to happen, but this was kind of now their dog and pony show to talk about it. And there wasn't a lot of new information about the case, but I think they were just announcing their team and that they were settling in in the village and they were going to be working from the village. And I think, again, it's almost to unsettle someone. You know, I think a lot of this was aimed at someone to make them nervous and shake them up. They did say that since early January, the four detectives who had been working in Pawpaw until then took inventory of more than 5,000 pages of paperwork, evidence, and leads provided to them by Bedell. To date, they have more than 900 tips, and the story also mentioned the DNA samples and said Bedell said they'd been compared to several, quote, potential matches. Hmm. But he didn't elaborate. Except to say that there hadn't been a match so far. That says to Maureen that he wants someone to know that they have potential suspects they have their eyes on. Yes. But yet the DNA didn't match. Chief Bedell said he hopes the next press conference will be to announce the capture of a suspect. He said, too, it's his opinion that the suspect lives in the area and is an associate of Jody and her family. That would make sense. Yep. Or not. Um, oh. Ooh. Well, if it's a thing where an 11-year-old kid is snatched by a yeah, predator.
0: that's true.
1: You know. happened. does happen. It yeah. is a small town, though. The detectives assigned to the case were Sergeant Shane Krieger, Troopers Jeremy Carlisle from the White Pigeon Post, Brian Fuller from the Hastings Post, and John Moore from the Niles Post. And those names will be more important in the next episode, but I'm just saying them now. Okay. But, Bedell would remain an active participant in the investigation, the story said. Jody's mother, who's still referred to at this point in the story as Valerie Carver, attended a portion of the press conference and said she's glad to see more detectives involved in the investigation. Quote, I've seen Jody's friends in the years since her death, and they're all grown up. I didn't stay in touch with them at first, but lately I've started to talk to some of them on Facebook, she said. Emotionally, it's still very hard for me. A year later... In March 2012, the Sturgis Journal had its next story on the investigation, at least the next one that was online. Police investigators said they were closer than ever to solving the case. Mm. St. Joseph County Prosecutor John McDonough said the investigation team had identified a number of persons of interest. The cold case team has done a phenomenal job. Mm. They turned up new evidence that has led to new persons of interest. McDonough said the new evidence had been sent to the Michigan State Police Crime Laboratory. Quote, there's also the benefit of some new technology. He also said it's the number one unsolved case, and I assume he means in the county and not, uh, unless in this is world. like another Maura Murray, <laughs> you know, top case of all time that nobody's ever heard of thing. He told Corky, the Sturgis Journal reporter, that he's optimistic about progress. I'm very hopeful that this will be solved sooner rather than later, he said. Yeah, <laughs> I know. no shit. We are moving in a positive direction. Hmm. Investigators, of course, still ask that people call them with information. The only other news about the case for most of 2012 was that fundraisers were being held to put a permanent gravestone on Jody's grave in the cemetery in White Pigeon. A spaghetti dinner fundraiser was being mm. held. And the school kids were making, like, ceramic plates for it, and you could buy the plate, you bought the plate, and then got your spaghetti. And, that was, spaghetti. and that was the idea of police chief Jim Bedell. Oh. He said that all there was now was a small... Not even tombstone, but just a marker made by her friends. And that would be moved to go underneath the tree in the Constantine Cemetery where her body was found once the permanent Aww. gravestone was in place. So I guess it doesn't say, but my assumption is the family was very poor and couldn't yeah. afford a gravestone. Quote. I've been at her grave in White Pigeon many times and thought how sad this is, Bedell said. It's bad enough when a child goes, when anyone dies. You think an illness or an accident, but a homicide? He said it seems like her death was yesterday, a feeling shared by many in the community. He said her mother, who the journal is now referring to as Joe Carver, was okay with the idea of the headstone. And this had been almost, this was 2012, so it was almost five years since she had died. Mm -hmm. And Jeffrey Furrow Monuments in Hastings was providing a headstone at cost for them. That's Bedell apparently also designed the gravestone. Ah. He told the journal, there will be a photo of Jody inside a heart in the middle, along with her name and dates. Jody loved flowers and butterflies, so they will be on both sides. Reporter Angie Birdsall said he smiled as he pointed yeah. to a photo of Jody, which has hung on his door for four years and the photo says love is like a hug so hang on to it. That was Jody's favorite saying they tell me he said and it's gonna go on her tombstone. Okay I just have to say I find that whole thing weird. But Yes he's not the guy who did it I just want to tell that that's not a spoiler or anything, but spoiler. But I do think his over emotional connection to this led to mistakes that were made. Oh. That um, foreshadowing. I gotta give people something because since it's two parts. And, but anyway. Okay. Interestingly, the story said the cause of death hadn't been disclosed because remember the child abuse article of Mm -hmm. 2009, three years before, where the chief medical examiner, John Robertson, spoke about her case and said it was strangulation or Mm. the story said it was strangulation and they must have gotten it from him. And as I said, my guess is he goofed when he said that publicly, not remembering or knowing that police weren't saying it and no no one seemed to catch it. Assuming it it had already been, yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess he didn't read the papers that constantly said her cause of death hadn't been at least. A week later, there was a story about the Spaghetti Supper fundraiser in the mm. paper where Bedell helped serve. That's Police Chief Bedell helped serve, assisted by cold case investigators Jeremy Carlyle, Brian Fuller, Shane Krieger, and Chuck Christensen of Paw.
0: <laughs>
1: Bedell's <laughs> wife, Midge. Was there too, Midge? And yeah, I guess that's her name. This was almost like a story, you know, a fiction story in some ways. Many may think it's heartening that the cops, particularly Bedell and the guys on the cold case team, were so involved. And I'm not saying that Bidell in particular, wasn't sincerely moved by Jody's death and the plight of her family. But I also think there was another more cynical motive to these guys being this involved in it, and I think that it's, you know, like when cops go to a funeral or something. Mm-hmm. I think that they were hoping to see something. Yeah, that or somebody some... would show up. Right. Yeah. The reporter who wrote the story about the Spaghetti Supper got Jody's mother's name wrong, referring to her as Joe Perrick. and I bring this up not to shame the reporter, but to make the point that, as newspaper shed staff, institutional memory goes by the wayside. There's no one to see the significance, as I said, of the mention of strangulation in the child abuse story, and no one to say, hey, we've been calling the mom Valerie Carver for more than four years now, and we called her Joe Carver the other day, and now we're calling her Joe Perrick. What's going on? yeah. Um, and I just bring that up because once things like that happen, you start wondering about other things and stories. Yes. You know, and Joe, the mother, told the reporter the best way to find the grave was to look for the name Lovejoy on the end of the row. There was a gravestone that said Lovejoy, and that's the row Jody was in. And those are two words that describe Jody. Love and joy. On November 8th, 2012, five years after her murder, another vigil came and went. Chief Jim Bedell said at the vigil, it's unfortunate the case hasn't been solved, but he urged (laughs) patience. Well, we have this new DNA testing. The state has other cases, he said. This is not TV. Testing takes a lot of time. Hmm. Jody's mother, now being referred to as Joe Gilson Jesus in, in the stories, and I think she married somebody whose last name is Gilson. She's referred to that way in other places, so I think that is now her name. Said that the amount of people at the vigil, which was about 75, showed, you want closure as much as I do. She told that to the audience. Hmm. Vidal also said he appreciated people coming to the vigil. "'Hopefully we will have a vigil next year, too. "'I'd like to do this even after we solve the case.'"
0: Oh, Jesus.
1: He got his wish. Another vigil was held on November 9, 2013. It was now six years since Jody's Aww. murder, and the narrative remained the same. Bedell and a member of the cold case team, Shane Kriger, attended. Kriger told the journal that there were a lot of unanswered questions in the case, but he couldn't release many details because it might compromise the investigation. He did say new technology was yielding more clues. Quote, we utilized new forensic technology last year in the crime labs. This year, we have even newer technology. We're waiting for, I'm sorry, we're waiting for results from some information we've sent in and hope to get them by the end of this year. We also have better technology to enhance videos and pictures of the crime scene and have some gained new clues there. Every day, we conduct interviews and eliminate someone. We are one step closer to solving the case. Okay. And frankly, I think all that was to send a message as well. Earlier in the day, St. Joseph County Prosecutor John McDonough told the journal the case continues to be a top priority. Quote, the cold case team is diligently working every day on this case, McDonough said. We want to solve this and find out who is responsible. So, this is Maureen, not McDonough. It's obvious police have been frustrated over the previous six years. And they made it clear that they were relying on DNA and, quote, new technology to solve it. But when they made an arrest in April 2014, they used old technology. Very, very old technology. Because when they arrested Ray McCann, the Parix neighbor, the reserve Mm -hmm. cop who suggested looking for Jody in the cemetery, it wasn't through a DNA match. No, his DNA had been tested and it didn't match. No, it was through good old-fashioned read interrogation techniques, along with some Uh... other stuff. McCann was arrested Friday, April eighteenth, two 2014, after his car was stopped on the Route 131 bypass. And I'm sure you all know where that is. (laughs) The Journal assumed we did. (laughs) I don't know what town. I didn't have time to look it up. He was arraigned on Saturday, April nineteenth. The Sturgis Journal caught up with the arrest on Monday, April 21, but the charges weren't for murder or any other violent crime. Not sexual assault, not abuse, nothing. No, he was arrested for perjury. Hmm. Unless you think that's trivial, in Michigan it's a felony, and you can get up to 20 years for it. He was arrested on five counts, so was potentially facing a 100 years sentence. McCann was 46 at the time, and police said he was arrested for perjury for, quote, statements made under oath. His bond was set at $225,000. The cold case team had classified McCann as, quote, a person of interest in the murder investigation, despite the fact he'd only been charged with perjury. McCann, it turned out, had been a person of interest beginning the night of the murder. The fact he kept insisting on checking the cemetery but didn't check it himself Mm -hmm. made Officer Donker very suspicious. After Jody's body was found, Donker read McKenna's rights and asked to look at his hands. The police took his truck and his clothes and later a DNA sample. In the ensuing years, I don't know when they were taken, he took two polygraph tests and police told him he'd failed them. Hmm. In an affidavit supporting his arrest, investigators said he was charged with perjury because of inconsistency in his stories. Lies, they said. And by the way, this was news to me, but I looked it up and also heard about it on the podcast I'll mention later, that when you are interrogated by police, if you lie, you can be arrested for that. Oh, and well, there's different her. charges, you know, false information, other things. And the stuff I read online said usually if it's something minor because they expect inconsistencies and stuff, you're not going to get it. But if it's a major thing... Like, I was in Florida, not Portland, when my boyfriend was murdered, even though my fingerprints are all over the knife you found in him. And then it turns out you weren't in Florida. They may throw a perjury charge Mm -hmm. in there. Okay. McCann said he played video games all day the day of the murder. Then when his sons got home from school around 3, he took them to the dollar store and bought them a couple little laser guns. But police said they interviewed the boys, and the boys said that hadn't happened. McCann also had told police during the search for Jody that he had a car-to-car meeting with Constantine Police Officer Donker, but Donker said that never happened. You know, the whole car-to-car where one part's facing one way and one part's, you know. Yeah, they love to do that. I know. McCann was asked how Jody's DNA could be found on him and how his DNA could be found on her body. And his response was that he had pulled Jody's mother away from the body when they first found it. And Jody's mother told police that that didn't happen. It says in the affidavit police investigation showed that did not occur, but Mm. you find out later Jody's mother said it. They also asked McCann how Jody's DNA could have gotten into his truck. He replied that Jody's mother had given him a hug and sat in his truck to get warm. Police said they determined his response to those questions were fictitious and would potentially indicate that he fully expected his DNA to exist, and that's why he lied about it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The affidavit also stated that McCann's wife told authorities he was extremely concerned that DNA evidence would be found linking him to the crime, and he began to explain its possibility with accounts of events that continually changed. Thanks, wife. The affidavit uh-huh. also uh-huh. said officers have additional information, but releasing the details could potentially risk exposing facts that are crucial to the murder investigation. They did, however, finally officially release the cause of death, strangulation, and also said the autopsy found bruising on Jody's neck, wrists that were consistent with being restrained or tied, and nipples. The prosecutor and police made it clear that McCann was a monster. And that's their word, not mine. McCann was interviewed more than 20 times over the years, always insisting he was innocent. Most of those weren't videotaped. And none of his videotaped ones did he have a lawyer, though he eventually got one apparently. His lawyer, James Mequio, later said that McCann was interrogated by authorities more than any other client I've had in 30 years of practice. His first interview with Chief Bedell was November 5th, 2010. So that was a few months after Bedell became chief. It wasn't mccann's first interview about the case but it was his first one with adele and it was videotaped reporter Mm. ken kolker from wood tv in grand Mm. rapids had filed a freedom of information request and ultimately got eight hours of a variety of videotaped mccann interrogations kolker said the fact that a person of interest was charged with perjury so many years after a murder after such an intensive investigation piqued his interest in the case i bet The theme that cops kept hammering at McCann in the videos with was basically that they knew he did it, Mm. they had the evidence he did it, and they just wanted to know why he did it. But McCann kept denying he did it and wouldn't tell him why. Things not in the affidavit, but revealed in the interviews, include that they found porn on his computer from that day. So his story that he'd been playing video games until his kids got home from school around three didn't hold up. Another one was he said he'd look for Jody down by the pier by the river, but they had surveillance tape that showed he was never there. Also, the fact he contacted a woman who wasn't his wife by walkie-talkie, possibly the day before the murder, but possibly not some other time, was obviously a pickup attempt. It's just weird. You're weird, Bedell said to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, said he was
0: looking at porn. And that he
1: was contacting a woman he didn't know by Mm walkie-talkie. And so, Bedell thought that was weird. Bedell said someone had seen him in his pickup truck enter the cemetery 30 minutes before the body was found. McCann denied it. And that was in the 2010 interview. In fact, in those, just in that eight hours of videotape from a variety of different interviews, he denied involvement 86 times. Mm. Many more hours of his more than 20 interviews weren't taped, so... I assume he denied it then, too. After they arrested him, he was scheduled for a preliminary hearing um, on April 29th, which was my birthday. And another one on May 1st. I don't know why they needed so many hearings. Well, he was charged with perjury for lying to the police during the investigation and not murder. And he'd only been charged, not convicted. Subsequent coverage pretty much made it clear that... He was the guy who did it, at least that's what everybody thought. A story the day after his arrest was reported in the Sturgis Journal quoted Jody's mother, who spoke to the media for almost an hour. She was accompanied by her friend Julie McCann, Ray's sister-in-law. Both families have, have suffered, Jody's mother said. He has torn apart two families. She said she started to believe something was wrong with McCann's story about three years before his arrest, and that would have been about four years after the murder. Quote, I started to notice discrepancies in things he said, she said. She recalled thinking about his behavior and how she questioned it. He kept telling us to look in the cemetery over and over. What 11-year-old goes into a cemetery, Gilson said. I guess she forgot that she had told reporters right after Jody was killed that the kids used to go through the cemetery all the time and it was a shortcut. Quote, then at the funeral, he was an emotional wreck. He needed help walking. Kept saying he was sorry. Gilson said she had spoken to McCann only once in the past three years. I know that this is just the beginning, she said. I'm glad he's in jail, not living his life. I believe he is involved. Gilson said she lies awake every night, thinking about Jody. I think about it all the time, she said, adding that she is able to cope because of her granddaughter. I try to focus on the good things. And by the way, I'm reading this from a Sturgis Journal story. She also said she hopes he tells the truth so it doesn't have to go to trial. Julie McCann, who'd been married to Ray's brother for 20 years at the time, said, When I saw his mugshot and looked into his eyes, it sent chills down my spine. (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm sorry. Jody
1: deserves justice. Whoever did this needs to be put away. Mm -hmm. Jody's mother, who had moved to Hammond, Indiana after the murder... Or in some, in the ensuing years. Hope meeting with the media would allow the family some privacy. If I were the editor on that story, I would have insisted to point out, because that was almost the entire story I I just read there. I would have insisted to point out that he'd been charged with perjury, not murder. He hadn't been tried. And Innocent Till proven Guilty. We're on a podcast, so we don't have to do Innocent Till proven Guilty, but newspapers still do. That's right. Oh, and oh yeah, investigators said that McCann's DNA didn't match the DNA they found on Jody's body, which they'd known since right after the murder, but he was still the major person of interest. Hmm. On February 14th, 2015, so 10 months after his arrest, McCann, who'd been in jail since he was arrested in April, made a plea deal on the perjury charges. With the deal, he pled no contest to a single perjury count, making him eligible for release after serving 12 to 20 months. And the one charge is the one prosecutors felt that they had the strongest case on, that he lied about meeting Donker during the search. Although I heard on um, the podcast that I listened to that it was the one concerning him saying that he went and searched for her down by the river and that they had video that showed him not there. So I think things kind of changed and shifted, or possibly, you know, the stories are missing something. But anyway, Assistant Prosecutor Erin Harrington said the charge was based on video evidence that she said showed that McCann never went to the meeting site. McDonough, the head prosecutor, said McCann remains a person of interest. This was not a Hail Mary, McDonough said, which I take to mean that it's not a desperate attempt to tie him to the murder. Mm -hmm. And yet, quote, Mr. McCann had made inconsistent statements from the night Jody died to the investigative subpoena process. He committed the crime of lying during the investigation, and today he was found guilty of it. On March 20, 2015, McCann was sentenced to 20 months to 20 years, and with time served, could be out in eight months. And the, the lead of the story was something like, the one man who's been arrested in connection with Jody Parrick's murder could be free in eight months. So they're, oh no, uh, the monster will be back on the street oh kind of God. thing. The judge, St. Joseph County Circuit Judge Paul Stutzman, said McCann's case would be reviewed for parole immediately because of his time served. He also said he was concerned about the potential, quote, chilling effect his decision might have on someone coming forward in cases in the future. Quote, it's not uncommon for witnesses to testify differently, he said. They may be wrong or they may be lying or they may have a false memory. He said, for instance, in a recent murder case he presided over, police recalled that they were wearing gloves when they were touching things at the scene and they testified to it on the stand, but evidence showed that they weren't wearing gloves. Mm-hmm. Quote, I don't know why Mr. McCann would lie about where he was. All I have to know is that it was part of this investigation and he was under oath. The prosecutor brings the charges and I have to sentence accordingly. McCann's attorney, James McQuio wanted a sentence of 12 months in the county jail or even probation, not prison, because Ray had no criminal record or substance abuse history, was likely to be employed upon his release, and had, quote, strong personal relationships in the community. McQuill also said that McCann had to spend time in isolation while in the county jail because of inmate threats. And McCann didn't make a statement. Before sentencing, the judge revealed he had received a letter that had prompted him to order extra precautions at the hearing, including additional courtroom security and requiring all observers to sign in and produce identification before entering the courtroom. The handwritten letter was signed only with a P, and it was postmarked March 13 in Grand Rapids and had the return address of a woman who police have concluded had no connection to the case. Stutzman said the letter was critical of McCann and suggested a threat to the judge's family. And it was turned over to the Michigan State Police for investigation. Linda Alba, Jody's godmother, tearfully declared, according to the Sturgis Journal, outside of the courtroom, someone had been grooming Jody and she was killed in November 2007 because she knew too much. Hmm. Quote, I feel bad for the McCann family. They've gone through a lot, but I believe in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, she said. McDonough, the prosecutor, said he was satisfied with the sentence, saying McCann, quote, still remains a person of interest, and the unsolved homicide remains a top priority. Yet, the cold case team investigating it, who had been stationed in Constantine since March of 2011, was reassigned, even though it was a top priority. Hmm. And as always, McDonough encouraged anyone with information to contact the Constantine Police Department, which was now leading the investigation under, by the way, Police Chief Mark Honeysett, mm-hmm. was now Chief again, as well as Village Manager, mm-hmm. because James Bedell, having quote-unquote solved the case,
0: oh, Jesus.
1: had retired. So it doesn't sound to me like it was as, mu- as much of a priority now. Yeah, now that now they they think they they right. got the person. Right. In July 2015, as McCann was halfway through his prison sentence, assuming he got out on parole at the earliest possible time, a 10-year-old girl in white pigeon a town near Constantine, was riding her bike down the street. When Daniel Furlong, 65, came out of his garage and asked if she'd help him move something in the garage.
0: As she approached,
1: he tried to restrain her with an electrical cord and threatened her with a steak knife. She somehow managed to break free. She ran home and she told her mother, who called the police? Furlong was arrested on sexual assault charges. So I'm not sure, as usual, the, um newspaper article is very thin on details so i'm not sure exactly what happened there but he was arrested on sexual assault charges as part of the police process his dna was taken Uh. his dna this probably comes as no surprise matched the dna found on jody perrick on september 9th 2015 Furlong was arraigned in St. Joseph County District Court and pleaded not guilty to one count kind of open murder, one kind of felony murder, one count kind of kidnapping, and a kind of second degree criminal sexual contact involving a child under the age of thirteen and the murder of Jody Parak. <sighs> McDonough, the prosecutor, had effusive praise for local, county, and state law enforcement partners who he said doggedly worked the case over the past oh, eight yeah. years. And that's the journal reporting. That sentiment was echoed by Mark Honeyset, the Constantine chief, who said, Jody Pratt's death was the worst day in my law enforcement career here, and today is the best day. Officers have worked their tails off on this case. Damn good is how this feels. Yeah, and they um, had worked okay. hard.
0: They worked,
1: yeah, okay. They'd worked very hard to find Ray McCann guilty of no it. Oh,
0: shit. They, they didn't.
1: nothing they did
0: no nothing
1: they did except for collecting the dna and i think the medical examiner that when jody was killed led to the arrest in fact and we'll talk more about this next episode Dan furlong was actually interviewed when they were canvassing the neighborhood and was discounted it wasn't considered a suspect he didn't have a criminal record but again we'll talk more about what he did have next time uh, interesting mark Honeyset, set mm. the constantine chief in an audio taped interview with mccann after dan furlong was arrested tells mccann that person we arrested is a friend of yours i don't oh, know jesus i don't know who he is mccann answers honey said answers i'm serious man don't let that window close. Don't let that happen. whether it's Dan or whether it's someone else, someone's holding all the cards and Aww, your face is on every one of you those cards. me right. They still wanted to somehow convict Ray McCann Please,
0: in Jody's murder. Serious.
1: Furlong who'd lived in Constantine when Jody was killed? was asked by the prosecutor in a much friendlier interview, which is on videotape, after his arrest. It's funny how, like, hostile they are to McCann. And Furlong, who's been arrested for this brutal murder of this little girl... And he um, tried to hurt another girl. Yes, they're just acting like he's... But they asked him after his arrest if he knew Ray McCann. And Furlong said, I don't know the one on TV. I don't know him. I know his grandfather. (laughs) <laughs> and remember, Honeyset had said to McCann that you're a friend of that guy. Oh, and I think in a further interview, he said he, that the guy said you're friends. Oh. And that's what they tell the press. When police, in that, in that videotape, very friendly questioning of Furlong, said to him, you saw everything that was going on in the paper about him, meaning McCann. What did you think? Furlong answered, I thought I was in the clear. Oh, my God. And that's the end of part one. Are you freaking kidding me? And I'll bring you the next part next year. Ha ha ha! Ah, That's the first time we get to do that. And what happens is very interesting. And I know people in the two weeks between this and the next one can Google it and stuff. You know, I can't stop you. If you want to be surprised and stuff you know just let me let me tell my story uh is had you heard any of that no i
0: thought well the reason i thought and it might be a different one but there was because there's so many little girls that get killed yes killed unfortunately but there was something there was one i saw on a dateline or one of those where it was a neighbor who was a part-time cop that so did it, and it was be. a little girl, but I don't think it's the same one.
1: Yeah, I don't remember seeing this, although People Magazine had, had a story a couple of years ago that I must have read, but... Because um, I was
0: thinking that it was the part-time cop that did it, and I...
1: Well, part of it is, and, and it's funny, they keep, uh, and you watch, like, TV reports on it, they keep referring to him as one of their own, and, like, even on the podcast that I'll mention next time, they said one of their own, and... In my experience, I call it more the Richard Jewell effect, you know, from the Atlantic, Atlanta Olympic bombings, where I don't think full-time cops have a lot of respect for reserve cops. No. They consider them wannabe cops and rent-a-cops or whatever. And But one thing I will say between now and our next episode, if any of you listeners do get hauled in by the police for anything, just keep in mind, they can lie to you about anything. yeah. And don't it's all believe right.
0: They say
1: it's talk. not okay, obviously, for you to lie. Look what happened to Ray McCann. Not that he lied, and we'll get into that more. But it's okay. They can lie to you. They can tell you your DNA was somewhere where it wasn't. His DNA was on nothing. And yet, mm-hmm. they made him try to explain how his DNA was there. They can lie to you. They can lie about anything they want to mm-hmm. lie about. Keep that in mind, and I would say to anyone get a lawyer. Get a lawyer. The first thing you do is get a lawyer. I know people are afraid, you know, oh, I'm innocent. It's going to make me look bad. It doesn't fucking matter. This guy was a cop and they managed to fuck him over. You need
0: to, the only thing you need to think of is yourself.
1: Right. In that
0: moment, if you are innocent, or even if you're guilty, but if you're innocent, you definitely, it is your right. To, and right, we're not lawyers, so and, we're not, and you can talk to the about, cops. But it's your
1: right to and, have a lawyer present. You can talk to the cops. Talk to them with a lawyer there. Yeah, I wouldn't. T- That's I, required yeah. in some countries. In the UK, in the UK, they're not allowed to lie because no, of so not. many. They had so many wrongful con- convictions, especially back when they used to hang people. That uh-huh. um, that. It bothered people, and it should bother people in America, but I have to say one one kind of epilogue for 2020 is there are so many things that I would think would bother people in America. I right know.
0: It's amazing what doesn't bother people. What,
1: it blows my fucking mind I mean, what doesn't bother people. But just one, one last thing I want to say about this episode before next week. For the six years before they made an arrest, they were kind of emphasizing this DNA as being the key even though they knew that they had Ray in their sights. That's and I think so a lot of their posturing was to try to crack Ray. And we'll talk more about the things they did to try yes, to crack I Ray. To- I don't want to give away too much, but I do want yes. people to like listen. So, but you have um, a recommendation. Yes, I do. <laughs> Hey, before we before we talk about your recommendation. Yes. I don't want to put you on the spot. But as yeah. you know, last episode I reviewed TB Cooper, The Mystery mm-hmm. of TB Cooper. Yes. And I know that since then you watched it with mom and dad. Yes. And I wondered um mom what you know, mom did not
0: know it. Was well, the, I'm not, uh, yeah, no don't
1: movie. I I'm more interested in what you thought she, of she it. She was too busy playing
0: solitaire. Right. I'm more
1: interested attention. I'm more interested in what you thought. It. I liked it
0: but there was one big missing piece. What was it? One big missing piece and it didn't even occur to me until like a few days later and I was thinking about it. They had that flight attendant that sat next to the actual man and nobody asked her in this whole documentary who of these people do you think it was you sat next to him you talked to him you were sitting next to him yeah he had sunglasses on but do any of these people look like the guy you talked to oh
1: i never thought of that whoa
0: i i didn't think of it either because it's so well done i know and then i was like wait a minute She's sitting next to him. Wow. And I realized she couldn't look at him straight on, and she was scared. But they didn't even bring it
1: up. But I that, it was
0: really good. Dad it, liked it. Yeah, so. and, it,
1: and it just goes to show, too, that as we talked about, like, with The Staircase and other documentaries, it, a documentary can seem really good, and then you find out, well, in this case, you didn't find out, you just thought it, but it things occurred. that are left out that change. And she wasn't the only one. I mean, there was that right. other guy, the, that was a the, guy the kind of pompous college student guy. Yes, Yeah. And also, but, but did you agree with my kind of final assessment, you know, when they started just showing all the yes. photos
0: of all the people? Although the one woman, the smoker voice, old lady that has the young man friend. Right. That's helping her. Which is a little creepy. Her yes. husband seemed. He seemed to me like he could be it. But I don't know. I It I, felt
1: that one felt to me the most genuine yes. because of the interesting things that happened later. Yes. The young woman who, or not young woman, but the woman who thought it was her uncle, she's probably nah, like I her don't mind. believe. It was more family lore and you yeah. know how memories can be twisted. The other and guy stuff. thought it was a copycat. And yeah. the it could have been the uh transgender yeah i thought the transgender person probably has a very interesting backstory whether she's db cooper or not but the other thing i was thinking is i just think he's dead yeah I i do too i do too
0: but but that was the one thing i was thinking about it i was driving to work or somewhere i was in my car and i was like wait a minute yeah why yeah. didn't they say okay? Look,
1: because the guy.
0: Even the hus- if her
1: answer was, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but the they husband
0: should've... of the of that one older lady, he he didn't look as bland kind of as the other one, so I would think that he he might be someone you'd remember more. The other yeah. the other one, especially the transgender woman. Although you know,
1: when something traumatic is happening, you don't yeah. necessarily. No, you I, know, no, but, you wouldn't. I think and I'm going to watch you wouldn't it again. Be
0: able to too. look at. The person you'd be afraid to look right. at him,
1: but I don't even know what you're doing yours on tonight, so why oh, don't you tell yes. us? And we can, well, get... I'm
0: doing mine on a book that I listened to on Audible, so I might talk about the Audible version and the book okay. and the story too because I wanted something different. I just, you don't have don't to
1: explain, so you don't have this, to
0: apologize. You sound like this popped you're kind of... up as something that you know how the, sometimes they have, they have recommendations and stuff on Audible, yeah. Well, so this. So well, I hear her. Yeah. Well, believe me, once you subscribe to it, it's kind of hard. And then I did try to like cancel it, but I had like some credits, and they said, "Well, if you cancel, you lose your credits." That's how they got, you. Yeah. Why don't you just pause it for three months? And I'm like, okay, I'll pause it for three months because I do like it. The name of the book is Dear Child, and it's by Romy Hausman. It's H-A-U-S-M-A-N. and she's German, and the book was written in German, and it was translated. I'm giving it a little bit of a pass because, you know, I don't know how good the translation was. I don't want to give too much away of the book, but it's about a woman who has been held hostage. Is it fiction or nonfiction? It's Oh, I'm sorry. Fiction. Okay. It's told in three points of view. There's a young woman who's 13... There's a woman who's in her late 20s and there's the father of another woman. So this woman has been held hostage in this guy's cabin and they have children. There are two children there. And so it's kind of a cross between, if you're thinking of real life cases, the girl, the three women in Cleveland Hmm. and uh, the, and the, the, you know, that guy, that Castro guy that. Those, right you know the sweet and the um the family <laughs> the turpin family yes. kind of that episode... it's kind of a cross between
1: those two cases episode 20 or and i 21 don't want to give
0: too much away of the of the story because it, it's kind hey, of a did thriller. it happen
1: in germany it
0: takes place in germany okay. um so i'm going to say bad reenactments no narrative clichés there are not enough narrative clichés to take points off although i will say Some of the characters are a little flat, like the male character. There's a male, uh, he's about 60. His wife is kind of this, you know, cliché wife that's not very well formed. She's better than in some books, but she still kind of like doesn't understand him and, you know, blah, 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 you know, Uh. that kind of thing. So, but it's not enough for me to take points off because she's not a major character.
1: I wonder if something was lost in the translation. yeah
0: there are three narrators. Like I said, they're all unreliable narrators, Hmm. which has become a cliche in itself. But it wasn't really enough. I felt like it was pretty well written. That wasn't enough to keep me from, you know, being like, oh, another one of these books. So I'm not taking a point off. Um, Racial gender stereotypes, not really. All the characters are white in the book. It took place in the German in Germany near the Czech border. So I'm not sure what the ethnic makeup is. <laughs> Did it then. take place
1: nowadays, or
0: uh, I'm coming to that within the last 20 years? It's okay. not. It's kind of vague. That it's hard to tell when it took place. But it, it's the internet and cell phone age. But it, it's there's not enough of that in the book to pinpoint. And it's not. It's not super relevant to the story. So it's obviously you know within the last, I'd say within the last 10, 20 years. Only a few of the characters in the book are described by appearance, so the rest could have been any ethnic background. It wouldn't matter. It's not really relevant. So if you were to make a movie out of this or something, there's a lot of characters that could be any ethnicity. The main characters, they describe their looks. And the looks of the the little girl, I could, shouldn't call her a little girl. She's 13, but shes they think she's like eight when they first find her. That's why it reminded me of the turbans, because um, mm. probably she's malnourished. Her looks are relevant, but otherwise it's not. So I'm not taking any points away for stereotypes, even though the wife of the guy mm. was kind of stereotypical. Lack of good visuals, obviously, no. Although I'll say, since it's an audiobook, I'll add that they do have three voices reading it because there are three points of view and they're all british and it's okay i got used to it i didn't have anything wrong the the one that does the 13 year old was kind of annoying because it wasn't a 13 year old it was an adult person reading to sound like a younger person and i got used to that but it was kind of annoying i figured since they're using three actors to do it why don't they just have somebody who's younger do it you know right although it's
1: a special kind of it takes a special kind of actor to do i know audiobooks i'm not a big audiobook listener but my three books are audiobooks (laughs) and I know that there's divergent feelings between whether the book should quote unquote be acted out or my feeling was when I was looking for a because I have the audio rights my publisher doesn't have the audio rights so I went on ACX you know which is Audible and when I was looking for a narrator to hire on there my feeling was I want it to be somebody telling the story yes not acting out the story no my big fear act- was like lame um main accents and stuff no i don't want that but uh, that also can't just be no right. affect. you said at the beginning of talking about this part that you got used to it was it the three the different young girl. voices no that-
0: the three different voices didn't bother me it was the young girl okay d- voice but i do have one i think i will take off half a point for audio because i forgot until just now but there is a couple parts where the guy it's only in the mail thing i think where he's talking to his friend who's also a cop on the phone and when they do the friend's voice they make it sound like Tinny or something like he's on a phone mm-hmm. and it's very annoying. It's like italics. To. It's like reading. italics. Yes, yes huh. exactly. So huh. I'm gonna take half a point off for that. So missing pieces. I'm taking a point off. Ooh. the plot was Tricky and it held together pretty plausibly and I don't want to give too much away because it is a it's kind of but the conclusion was a bit of a stretch I think and there could have been a few more, not hints, I don't want to say hints or clues, but I want to say a little bit more material in the story that you could look back on and say, okay, I understand why this makes sense at the end. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like it was out of the blue who the culprit was or whatever. It wasn't like, oh my god, I never would have thought, or, or, Oh, who is this person that just showed up? You know, it wasn't like that. But at the same time, I think it could have been a little bit. So I'm taking a point off for that. Inaccuracy, anachronisms, no. Like I mentioned before, the time was kind of vague, but it was within like the last 20 years. And there were, someone used a cell phone. There were cell phones, but it wasn't like a lot of the story wasn't that. So um, storytelling, um, I'm taking half a point off for the reason I said above partially. It was twisty, but I just think it could have been crafted a little more carefully with the kind of storyline it was. Just I don't have a lot of complaints because when I was listening to it, I really was into it. I'm still going to criticize it. Freshness, I'm taking half a point off. Not because of the story itself, but it's because of the genre. It's kind of like Gone Girl, um, mm. and those are very... Popular now?
1: You mean domestic suspense? Yeah.
0: Yes, <laughs> Which with, my the book I'm writing with, now is yes with unreliable narrators. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not. Fr- it's the type of book. You know, it's in, right. It's in now. Right. And at the that's end, that's why of the- they get published. It's like uh, a, uh,
1: no. The- it's like. A, you know, how the publishing industry is. I understand.
0: But at the end of the um, book, there's a little talk by the author. She's got a cute accent. She's German. And she said that she hadn't written thrillers. She doesn't tell much about her background. She didn't really read thrillers. And then she read Gone Girl and thought, oh, I could write one Uh like this because I really enjoyed it. So that kind of bugged me. And I did think of Gone Girl when I was listening to it, but it isn't, it isn't at all like that right. as far as the, what the storyline is it's just I don't know I can't explain it but I wasn't surprised when she said that so I just feel like a lot of authors are getting on the bandwagon and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it
1: I'm I just want to
0: taking half a point off for freshness I, I just want to I'm not I, totally
1: new in okay. my own defense oh jesus everything's about you yes well you're you're talking about authors jumping on the bandwagon and i just want to defend myself that i didn't start out to write one of those but as i was writing it and figuring out the plot i said to myself this is not a whodunna or traditional amateur sleuth mystery like my other book this is domestic suspense so i did it by accident all right that's all i'm saying and you know how i feel about con girl you like it? No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I
0: didn't. I, you liked Gone Girl.
1: I thought the end sucked, and I—I oh, yes. I, I thought it was a cop out, and it colored oh. the entire book. Oh, for I didn't me. know it
0: colored the entire book. I thought we you liked just, it. We went to see the movie. We did. I didn't like the ending either, but I also didn't care that much because I hated all the characters. Well, that's the other issue
1: I had with it, that I I need to have characters I can like, Well, um, unreliable or not. I will
0: say about this book, the characters, you do like the adult woman character, I feel is pretty likable, or at least um, relatable. The older guy is annoying, but he is true to form. Which
1: ones aren't?
0: yeah i know that like i said he's true to form he's like a know-it-all dickhead you know whatever the 13 year old girl is got issues so but she's interesting so beating the drum no i think it does a good job showing i thought the psychological repercussions of being held that way on both the the girl and the, the uh older woman the older woman the the young woman that you can't just expect somebody to just bounce back after they've been they've been saved or right. they've been rescued and it reminded me of that movie room which i thought was really good even though i thought it would be depressing it was kind of but it was still good where the woman has been held for you know i don't know seven years she has a kid who's six she escapes and the kid with the kid and she has issues, but the kid especially has issues because that's been his ha- home for right. his whole life, right. and he can't just be happy that he's free because to him, it's, right? Because it's he didn't know so, he wasn't. Uh... And I think it doesn't, and it does a good job in showing that without being didactic. So I did not take points away. So I'm giving it a, a seven and a half. But I do highly recommend it, and it was called "Dear Child" by Romy Hausman. I think it's really good. You Whether you read good. it? I think you'd enjoy it. But um, I'd, yeah, I'd I'm be not reading it if you read it. I know I'm not, not reading read. fi- fiction oh, right now. Jesus,
1: It's. Oh, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm not like doing it to be like. It's not an affectation. I know. You know, it you just, hound me it it about just getting my book me written because I
0: want to discuss it with somebody and if I try to have mom read it she's just gonna she's yeah. just gonna be like hey, nah, nah. behind know." Although she was up all night reading one of some book. Yeah, anyways. that she won't remember
1: tomorrow, so. I <laughs> know. Oh, <laughs> poor mom. Yeah, poor so mom. anyways, so yeah. That, I that does sound good. good. I would read it in print rather than listen. See, I like listening to podcasts and stuff, but when I'm reading, first of all, I like to read before I go to bed. If I try to listen to something while yeah, I'm in I bed, like I I bed, I fall asleep. And I go to bed. if I were listening to a fiction book... And did it the same way I listen to podcasts. Like when I'm doing housework or if I'm driving, I'd be listening in smaller chunks than I'd want to. And I'd lose track, especially something with a lot of plot, I would lose track of what was going on and stuff.
0: Well, another audio book that I will highly recommend, well, not an audio book, but a book I will highly recommend that. Hannah and I are listening to is Jamaica in by Daphne Demire. Mm-hmm.
1: I started watching the PBS. Uh, I wouldn't watch. It, it. was awful. I it, I couldn't get through one episode. You have to read it. it. I don't think. I think it would
0: be very depressing to watch. But reading I was it was depressing. It, yeah.
1: Her writing
0: is so good. The way she yeah, writes good is so yeah. good. Like there was one scene in that where the uncle is telling the young woman. Mary, he's drunk, so he's like kind of confessing to her how he, and it's not a spoiler, that he and his rowdy bunch of criminals, they cause ships to wreck, then they steal the stuff on the ships, Mm -hmm. and if the people don't drown right away, they kill them, Mm -hmm. and he was telling her how he did that, and the way he tells it, he doesn't come out and say it, he just it's a roundabout way but the way she writes she's a really good writer yeah she's just
1: really underrated so she is i agree rebecca's one of my favorite books i love Rebecca, and not just because it's named after. no because
0: rebecca in the book wasn't that great a person was she so anyways so next week i'm not gonna google this you mean next episode oh yeah in two weeks yes I'm not going to Google anything. Okay, yeah,
1: don't Google it. Don't Google it. And then it.
0: I also, I'm going to try to start thinking of what I'm going to do so I don't rush at the end. Well, you have a month. I know, but you know how that goes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we want to say to our listeners, thanks for sticking with us through 2020. We yes. hope we brought you some some relief yes. from what's going on around you in our own way.
0: Yes, and I
1: hope everybody got their mugs by
0: now, all our patrons. Yeah,
1: we have mugs. If For those of you who celebrate Christmas, hope you have a good one. This will be coming out right before it, our and little a, gift, And this too. is coming out after Hanukkah, so happy Hanukkah,
0: everybody. Yeah, yeah. Which is going on as we and
1: speak. And any other things you might or might not celebrate, let's all just celebrate 2020 ending. A new year's coming. It started with such high hopes and oh, just crashed goodness. over. It can and only I get better.
0: That, I hope that as in the next year we will all i don't know everything will be get together well we'll get the people fate's... will be able to we'll be able to get a handle on this pandemic oh, wow. so
1: well vaccine coming i know i'm oh, at the I'll probably at it. the end of the list I'll, I'll be 60 too. in April, so maybe that'll vault me into the... And I am overweight, so maybe I can, instead of trying to lose weight like I was going to do, just, just develop some more health. I worked
0: with Jeez. a guy whose wife actually gained weight so she could get gastric bypass.
1: Mm. Well, remember how you and I used to talk about gaining <laughs> weight so we could be on the biggest loser and then lose it all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although we never <laughs> achieved that. Yeah, but then you
0: have to go on camera and... And, a, and, be, like a, and be humiliated. A, yeah, in a b- sports bra and bicycle shorts with your flab oh. hanging out. Yeah. Anyway, I guess okay. it's time to go. Thank
1: you, everybody. Yeah, bye. and we'll see you in twenty twenty one. Yay! Bye bye. Right. About progress. Are you drinking something? No, sorry. I just hit my okay. head with a. No, I'm not drinking. With a hammer. It sounded like <laughs> clinking ice cubes.
0: No, I might have hit the, oh, I think I accidentally hit the straw in my drink, sorry.